Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. Over the past couple weeks, um, now actually over the past couple months, I've been looking through my home movies, my family's home movies, because about 10 years ago actually now, I brought home a box of reel-to-reel Super 8s from my mother's basement. They had been there for about 40 years, and as she tries to get rid of stuff in her house, I rescue things and bring them to my house, put them in the attic, and let them sit there instead of there. Um, These reels, uh, I have 33 of them. Six of them are five-inch reels, the ones that come in those very lovely blue cans that are cold to the touch. They're very heavy. And then I have 26 uh, of the three-inch reels. And all together, that gives me just three hours of footage that was taken between 1965. Uh, my, my older sister was born in 1963. I was born in 1965. You can see when they got the camera. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, I was born in 1965. They got the camera. And they, they seemed to be using it um, a lot, passing it back and forth between the two parents, till about 1971 or 72. I have a little sister and a little brother, and my little brother was about two or three by the time the the camera seemed to have lost its charm. Um, And I have had this footage. Last year, I finally decided to get it digitized. So I schlepped all the uh, reels down to a place in Portland and got it all digitized and brought it home on a large hard drive. It's about this big. And it's been sitting on my desk in my office since then. And I really, really need to look at all that footage. I really need to look at it. But it's hard. But I need to do it for a couple reasons. Number one, I am a filmmaker. I have made films for dozens of nonprofits. I have told stories about incredible people, but there is one story that I just don't want to tell. And the second reason is I just turned 50. And I don't know what happens with this 50 thing. I didn't expect it. (laughs) No one told me. I don't know why, but I just feel like all of a sudden life is super short. And if I want to tell this story, I need to tell it now. And finally, the other reason I need to look at this footage is because uh, I would like to know, especially as I feel time slipping through my fingers, I'd like to know if there was ever a time when I felt unbridled joy. Like when I felt joy that was just spontaneous and I didn't second guess it and I just felt it and I let it come out. Because all this film that I have in my house is what I refer to as the before. And the way I want to describe the before to you is through uh, a sculpture that I'm kind of envisioning making one day. And this sculpture would be this huge glass ball, like the size of an oversized beach ball. And it would be suspended from the center of a huge gallery space. And the gallery, when you walked into it, would be pitch black. You'd pass through dark velvet curtains. 
And as you walked toward this globe, you, you couldn't stop going to it because it would be illuminated from the inside. It would be just hanging there completely bright in this dark space. And as you passed, you would pass baseball bats hanging around the gallery from, from strings as well, and you'd ignore them because you're so focused on going to the globe. And in the globe, you'd see, you'd peer in, and the bottom third of the globe would be filled with small little plastic people sitting at a little plastic dining room table in a little plastic kitchen with little plastic dishes and baked chicken and rice. And there'd be a mommy and a daddy and four kids sitting around that table, and maybe the parents would have two little thimblefuls of red wine. And it would look like this perfect family scene. And this would be like a combination of like a sculpture and a performance piece, because at the very last minute of that installation, the very last minute, right before we take it down, someone in that gallery, I don't know who, someone, would, would take one of those baseball bats and they would cock it back and they would hit the glass ball and all those little plastic people would just go spinning off into the night. And that is my before. And that is the moment where it transferred to the after. Because that was the day my father died. It was December 8th, 1976. And the, the facts are super simple. They're very straightforward. He was sitting at the breakfast table. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the four of us had all trotted off to school. We were 13. I was 11, 9, and my little brother was 7. And uh, he had stayed behind because he didn't feel that good. He couldn't go to work, and he died. And so by the time we got home from school that day, our life had been shattered. And Perhaps he was, he was 45, so uh, he was quite young, and so were we. And what was more complex than the details of the death was the aftermath. Because what happened after it was that I, I we all, uh, you know, I remember coming into that house that afternoon, and it was full of adults everywhere. But I remember that no one was crying. And then the next day, all four of us, we all woke up, got breakfast, and we went to school, as if nothing had ever happened. And so as an 11-year-old, I had to figure out, OK, how am I supposed to feel about this? I have no idea how I'm supposed to feel about this. And so I came up with this plan. I, I came up with a strategy. And the way I worked it was with two packs. My first pact was with myself and my father. And the pact was that since he had just died, and since no one was crying, I would hold the grief. And I would never be 100% joyful or happy again. Because if I were, that would be disloyal. And it would make him realize, because I, I knew he could see me at all times, he would think that we didn't mourn his loss. And then at the same time, I made a pact with my mother. It was private pact with me, but it was about her and how I would act with her. And that was that I would be 100% happy because I did not want to make her sad. I didn't want to make her life worse than it already was or harder. I did not want to make her cry at all. And so I had these two pacts. 
And unfortunately, I was in the middle with a lot of emotions that were just stuck. And so that brings me to like a time on a playground. I remember I was in sixth grade and I was playing kickball. And I kicked the ball and was so happy I was running the bases. And I was so joyful and excited for myself and proud of myself. And I just remember stopping and saying, oh, no, oh, no. You can feel glad but not that happy. Don't feel that happy. You can't feel that happy. And so you can see that like, I'm super curious about this film, family films. It's like a time capsule that I have on my desk. And so lately, ever since June, when I turned 50, I've been forcing myself to look at it. And it's not that easy to look inside that globe. And so I have this system, uh, I, got, I set up a reward system for myself. I have this glass ball, this glass like fishbowl, and I brought all my rocks that I collect from beaches around the world, and I put them on my desk. And every time I look at that footage, even if it's just for a few minutes or a few scenes or a few, you know, I don't know, like a wedding of a cousin that they captured or a, a donkey ride at a 4th of July picnic. Every time I do that, I move a rock from the desk into the jar. And I move another rock from the desk into the jar. And that seems to help. And right now, there's just this shallow layer of rocks on the bottom of the jar. But I keep thinking, oh my gosh, when that jar is full of rocks, I'm going to have a story. I will have survived. I will have lived back inside that globe, and I will have a story to share. But right now, it's just a shallow layer, and I, there's a couple scenes that I've, I've come across that really stick in my mind, and one of them is me at a birthday party. I think I'm like three, from what I can tell. The, the, the reels are not labeled, and I'm wearing a white dress with puffy sleeves, and I have a white barrette in my hair, and the cake that my mom brings from behind me, I'm shoulder to shoulder with other people, but the camera's on me. And uh, my mom comes from behind me and, and puts a cake down, and I immediately blow out the candles, and then I stop. And the camera's rolling, and I look around. I look to my right, and I look around, and I look all around, and finally I see the person holding the camera. And I catch eyes with that person. And I smile at that person. And then I look right at the camera, and I smile at the camera and wave. And that scene kind of sticks in my head because I think my father was holding that camera. And if I'm looking right at him, if I have that footage, that means he was really there. And then there's this other scene. I think I'm about four, and I'm sitting by myself at a picnic table outside. And I'm wearing a yellow shirt. It's sleeveless, and it's a mock turtleneck, and it's hideous. It is so <laughs> ugly. But I'm laughing, I'm really laughing hard. And then someone who's holding the camera says something, it's a silent film, so I can't hear what that person said. But I throw my head back and I laugh and I laugh and I laugh, like it is the funniest thing in the whole world. I love that scene. So, this weird thing is happening in the past couple weeks. I feel like my emotions and my senses are completely coming alive. 
I, I, last week I was online, I wanted to order a rose. I'm dying to have a rose in the spring and the summer next year, and I haven't bought a rose in like 25 years. And now when you buy a rose, you can go online and you have all these criteria that will help sort the millions of roses for you. And you can choose by color and shape and size. Is it a climber? Is it a shrub? Is it a crawler? Whatever. But the category I love the best is it, it, you have a choice now. You get to call, you get to choose the fragrance. You get to say, do I want lightly fragrant, medium fragrant, or extremely fragrant? And I chose extremely fragrant. I love that. I can barely wait for it to arrive in the spring. And you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, I'm sure you've noticed that as the summer stole a couple days from the fall, the moon just has been so gorgeous. It doesn't even have to be full. It could just be a little sliver. And it shines. And as I walk the dog, I actually stop and I look at it. And then I just, last week, I just finished an art class. And again, I haven't taken an art class in I don't even know how long. And for the art class, it was a printing class, and I decided to dig through my father's journals, which I also have in the attic. And I found a line that he wrote on October 17, 1953, when he was 24. And he wrote, there is a disturbing lack of clarity in the futures of all of us. There's a disturbing lack of clarity about the futures of all of us. And my God, he was right. <laughs> he was kind of a poet. He was a poet. I would have said, oh my fucking God, life is short. <laughs> and it is so short. It is so short. But my God, I want to feel this unbridled joy. I just want to feel my emotions. I just want to feel my senses. I want to dig into that globe and not be scared of it anymore. And I am doing that, and it feels so good. And right now, I can tell you that I am feeling joy.